the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, let me say this. Arizona evidently has a book banning problem. Did you know that? We've become like the Crucible or Salem, not the radio company. Here's the front page headline from today's Arizona Republic. Quote, Arizona book ban is now in effect. What to know about law targeting school reading? Close quote. Did you know your and your children's access to books just became more difficult? Neither did I. In fact, if you go to major bookstores, take a prominent one in central Phoenix, near several prominent high schools and elementary schools. I used to worry about drug dispensaries near our schools. I'm now worried about bookstores near our elementary schools and high schools as well. Not because of what they don't have and have been banned, but because of what they do have. When I walked into this one, I was looking for a gift for a young man. I immediately recognized the authors of the books all in the welcoming or front display, and I recognized them because we talk about them here a lot, almost none positively. Robin DeAngelo, Ibrahim X. Kendi, Pete Buttigieg. He has a book for kids. Did you know that? And I thought, okay, wow, they're trying to make a play for a certain audience. Then as I went through the rest of the bookstore, and it's fairly well-sized, I realized there was not one single book, not a one. I would want to buy or give a young man, in this case, one entering high school. I would not want to give a single book in that bookstore to anyone except perhaps as a practical joke. The first thought I had was, why isolate 50% to 70% of a customer base? Then I realized that's exactly what they want. They want that 50-plus percent of people who don't agree that, I don't know, reparations to ourselves is the most important thing. They want people who don't think... We are a systematically racist country. They want people who don't believe in white privilege or fragility to simply disappear, not welcome. They don't think we have any legitimate points of view. They want our thoughts, ideas, and books simply gone, erased. That's the real banning. Our views, our authors, our perspectives are untermentioned. But there will be no articles about that. Just for fun there, at that bookstore, I went to the children's section. They had a subsection marked toddlers. Toddlers means we're speaking of children younger than five. We're talking three- and four-year-olds. And the first book I saw was a children's book teaching the alphabet called A is for Activist. I looked up the author. He's a self-described Marxist. And I want to know, I want you to know I went to a few of the pages each page had its own letter. We're teaching the alphabet, you see. For the letter L, we get LGBTQ. Love who you choose, because love is true. Liberate your notions of limited emotions. It's almost as if Jesse Jackson were hired to write this. Now you may ask, what three- or four-year-old, what seven-year-old would even understand those words? I have the same question. It's the wrong question. It's wrong because it's irrelevant. The point is not for kids to learn how to read or comprehend sentences or vocabulary or words. The point is to train and brainwash and propagandize them. One might say to even intellectually and psychologically change them. 
And the younger, the better. My favorite, just because it's so dang easy to see what's going on here, was the letter D. It's a blue donkey with a red elephant. The donkey looks normal. The elephant is angry and wearing a military dictator-style hat. Little D democracy. More than voting, you'll agree. Dictators detest it. Donkeys don't get it. Got it? Republicans and elephants who represent them are the dictators. Democrats and donkeys who represent them are the Democrats. You could not be more clear on your effort to clear the field of Republican or conservative notions in a children's book than that. Again, of course, as if three- or four-year-olds understand democracy or Democrats or Republicans. They don't, and of course that's not the point, but the kernel can be planted. Republican equals dictator. Toddlers. You see, the very hungry caterpillar and where the wild things are and Dr. Seuss, they weren't getting the job done. As was sung in South Pacific, as Professors Rogers and Hammerstein well understood, you've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. Got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you are six or seven or eight. To hate all the people your relatives hate, you've got to be carefully taught. Note well, before it's too late, and seven and eight is too late. Now you can begin to appreciate the animus against places like Florida for not allowing the sexualization of children before fourth grade, but not after. Note too, in the Rogers and Hammerstein rendering, they were ahead of their time. They were progressive when they wrote that song in 1949, five years before Brown v. Board of Education and nearly 15 years before Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And the point then was not to judge people based on their skin color. Try finding that ethic in Ibrahim X. Kendi's book, Anti-Racist Baby, where the illustrator's opening note tells the children to be wary of, quote-unquote, state violence and white supremacy, close quote. That's what you want to teach a baby, isn't it? So the idea that these books are banned is obviously absurd. They are everywhere and they are common. It's our books that are not allowed in. What a new law says in Arizona is that in our public school, the law requires schools to get parental approval to teach books or other material that makes references to sex. I almost want to stop right there. There's no banning. There's a law that says he and she who are mandated to pay for our public schools and he and she who are mandated to send their children to school get a voice in what is being taught at those schools we are paying for, especially when it comes to teaching children about sexual themes. Now, keep in mind, Arizona doesn't even mandate sex education. So if a school didn't want to go there in the first place, it doesn't even have to. But so many want to, don't you know? Of course they do. And why do you think that is? Because the teachers and administrators think they know more about the sexual upbringing of all children than the parents of those children. It's an absurd question to think about if I put it in an inquisitive way. Do those teachers and administrators think that? Or would it have been true 10 years ago? Today, the answer to that question is absolutely that they think that. They want and need little recruits. The younger, the better. I'll tell you something. 
when I was four or five or six or seven or eight, I would not have been able to process white supremacy or sexual exploration and identity issues and state violence. Hell, Whoopi Goldberg is nearly 70 and still doesn't get it, thinking as she does that Adolf Hitler was not a white supremacist. And state violence? Yes, of course. Implant fear into children at age four. Make them fear cops. Make them fear authority. Make them fear whites. Let's see how that all works out. Well, we do see how that works out. We build menaces to society, in the words of Theodore Roosevelt. So it turns out the headline that we are banning books is just plain wrong. If parents who pay the bills for the instruction at public schools are okay with sexualized and sex-themed books, okay. If not, who is the state to tell them they must be overruled and that a non-parent knows better or has better values and psychological training and concerns? When did it become the truth that parents were the child's second or third or fourth best and most important teacher and not their first? Only in societies that make the state the parent, which is only one kind of society where parents' patriae is the norm. Authoritarian and dictatorial societies is that answer. Remember when Elian Gonzalez said, because he was forced or propagandized to, remember when he said he was happy to be reunited with, reunited with his true father when he was sent back to Cuba? And who was his true father he was happy to be reunited with? Fidel Castro. I've asked this before, and I think it's worth asking again. Can we not leave the children alone? I mean, must we recruit them to our causes at all costs, including their childhood, never mind their mental and social development? So what are we doing to our children, from toddlers to teens, from toddlers being instructed in complex race and sex theory to Teen Vogue promoting the virtues of communism to the Cartoon Network promoting the virtues of transgenderism? Plato, in his book The Republic, puts it this way. Quote, shall we just carelessly allow children to hear any casual tales which may be devised by casual persons and to receive into their minds ideas for the most part the very opposite of those which we would wish them to have when they are grown up? Clearly, we cannot leave our children alone, and those who want them taken from the charge of their parents come up with pejorative words to justify it, like book banning. Concerned parents and lawmakers are no more banning books than network television and radio is banning English and preventing me from describing in detail what is in the books at question. Words I cannot say on air because of the words and imagery I should not say on air. Concerned parents and lawmakers are no more banning books than the PBS affiliate here is banning art or information or documentaries by not airing live footage from our city's popular strip clubs. The state, the U.S. Supreme Court, has long acknowledged, has a leg legitimate interest in protecting children, not only from exposure to indecent language, but also from exposure to the idea that such language has official approval. The Supreme Court has also recognized the government's interest in the well-being of its youth, and in supporting, quote, parents' claim to authority in their own household that justifies the regulation of otherwise protected expression elsewhere. The court has long held, quote, such speech may have a deeper and more lasting negative effect on a child than on an adult. For these reasons, society may prevent the general disinformation and dissemination of such speech to children, 
leaving to parents the decision as to what speech of this kind their children shall hear and repeat. Constitutional interpretation has consistently recognized that the parents' claim to authority to direct the rearing of their children is basic in the structure of society. It is cardinal with us that the custody, care, and nurture of the child reside first in the parents, whose primary function and freedom include preparation for obligations the state can neither supply nor hinder. Parents and other teachers, for example, have this primary responsibility for children's well-being and are entitled to the support of laws designed to aid discharge of that responsibility. Close quote. That is from the pen of one Supreme Court justice named William J. Brennan, perhaps the most liberal and wide-rangingly tolerant absolutist on the First Amendment ever to sit on the Supreme Court. Plato, in his Republic, got this better than anyone. Quote, anything received into the mind at that age is likely to become indelible and unalterable. And therefore, it is most important that the tales which the young first hear should be models of virtuous thought. Then will our youth dwell in a land of health, amid fair sights and sound, and receive the good in everything, and beauty, the effluence of fair works, shall flow into the eye and ear, like a healthy giving breeze from a pure region, and indelibly draw the soul from the earliest years into likeness and sympathy with the beauty of reason. There is no nobler training than that, close quote. You think that's what's going on in the schools and with these books that require parental approval that the Arizona Republic is calling banned. When you think about that noble training Plato was speaking of, I think it's worth pointing out that we actually need to be taught that ourselves as adults. I think I know why we need to be instructed in this. And it goes back to a quote by Roger Scruton. He said, all the best things we have when abused will cause bad things to happen. You can plant into a child good as much as you can plant bad. You can implant the beauty of reason, and you can implant the ugliness of bad passion. Let me pick up on this when we come back, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Are you worried about stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a strong fixed rate of return and no correlation to the stock market? If you're looking for a remarkable and unique investment opportunity, please check out my friends at Y-Refi. They are offering a great investment, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio, with an up to 10.25% return for investors. And your investment can be in a trust, IRA, just as much as it can be an individual or joint investment. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm made up of really great guys who do well by doing good for others. And you can be a part of that, too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or you can call them at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. Never a sales pitch. They'll just tell you what it is that they do and let it speak for itself. I was talking about a story on the front page of the Arizona Republic this morning saying that we're banning books here in Arizona now, which... I take great issue with we are not banning books in Arizona. The only books that are being banned tend to come from, I don't know, the kinds of things you hear on this show or the kinds of authors you hear on this show. Those are the kinds of books you won't find in our schools, in our public libraries, or in our bookstores. Let me conclude what I was saying in the previous segment 
with this. I've talked about fairy tales before and how we teach children, and I've cited, I think, the best sociologist uh, or one of the top two or three sociologists that ever really existed, Professor Neil Postman, who I think gets it just right in his classic book, Saving Childhood. Dr. Postman put it this way about protecting children from fear and panic. He said the importance of fairy tales lies in their capacity to reveal the existence of evil in a form that permits children to integrate it without trauma. This is possible not only because the content of fairy tales has grown organically over centuries as under the control of adults who may, for example, modify the violence or the ending of a fairy tale to suit the needs of a particular child, but also because the psychological context in which the tales are told is usually reassuring and is therefore therapeutic. Postman came to a dramatic conclusion, writing, what does it mean that our children know what the elders know? It means that they have become adults, or at least adult-like. It means, to use a metaphor of my own, that in having access to the previously hidden fruit of adult information, they are expelled from the garden of childhood. To me, I could think of few greater sins. So why have a toddler's section at all at these bookstores, one might ask, and why are we teaching or trying to teach four and five and six and seven-year-old these thoughts? Well, for the same reason Mao and Stalin had communist youth movements and Hitler had Nazi youth. You want to prime the brain and create a customer for life. And reading about an innocent boy eating apples from a tree or a caterpillar overeating or a someone who doesn't like his eggs green is not going to do that. Not if we are going to catastrophize and politicize our children. You know, the Bible was great training for the wonderful story of six-year-old Ruby Bridges, who did more to end segregation in Louisiana than all the children's books publishers put together. Of course, she was prepared for what she had to face and deal with and teach all of us, because she was taught love, not hate, which is the right thing for six-year-olds. Anyway, that's what the other side is up to. I just hope we all know it. It is not just our schools. So for those who say, if you don't like the school, just leave, or if you don't like the channel, just turn it, you cannot turn off or change the channel of the culture. And there is no reason the left gets a monopoly on our public schools. They do not ask us what our party registration or political ideology is when they tax us to pay for them. Yes, we do have homeschooling as an option for some, and yes, we have school choice. I'm not going to suggest we have home bookstores, too, however, <coughs> excuse me, and we can build that, I suppose, together if you want. Meantime, we are well out of the schoolyards and classrooms, folks. We are facing the onslaught on our children everywhere. They can change us or we can, and we don't need to call it book banning as if we are some antediluvian throwback to Salem and the Crucible. Fear and anxiousness in raising children creates fearful and anxious children and adults. As Heather Haying and Brett Weinstein put it, we don't need children in adults' bodies. Used to be we tried to calm and nurture children, not put them in a permanent panic and stress. But then again, the permanent revolution, the crisis industrial complex, does not believe in age appropriate. It believes in getting to the kids as soon as possible. For you can change this country in a generation, as Ronald Reagan warned. I fear we have, but it ain't because of 
or do to banning books. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight and privilege to welcome back to the show in the airwaves of Phoenix an old friend, Terry Jeffrey, Terrence P. Jeffrey. He is the editor-in-chief at CNS News, cnsnews.com. You want to stay informed, you got to read cnsnews.com. I wanted to talk to Terry today about uh, some of the immigration, the illegal immigration issues um, from the border to crime and everything else. And just as... Um, just as I was putting the show together, I see he published again on Arizona. 21.0% unemployment spikes in Arizona border city. Holy cow. Terry, welcome back. I, I hope you're doing well. We we could use some help out here. I am, Seth. Thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. You betcha. What, 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 what drew your attention to this unemployment in Yuma, and what does it tell you, 21%? Well, it's um, when the Bureau of Labor Statistics comes out with its metropolitan area unemployment numbers always take a look at it to see what's going on and you probably won't be surprised <laughs> that yuma quite often is the the city the metropolitan area in the united states that has the highest unemployment as you mentioned yeah 21 percent in august the next next highest is uh, across the border in california but along the border with mexico El Centro, which yep. has 16.6%. And, I, you know, I think it's uh, reasonable to uh, believe that it is because of its location on the border and because of uh, a large number of people illegally coming across the border that Yuma has such a high unemployment rate. But it's also interesting, as I noted in the article uh, we put up this morning, that uh, the bigger border cities in Texas do not have right. unemployment rates nearly as high as Yuma or El Centro. That's right. That's right. And and how do you account for that? I'm going to guess Governor Abbott has to do that <laughs> in the policies of uh, the Texas state government, that they're more or less taking it upon themselves to enforce the immigration laws. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, when you think about the border here, uh, Terry, it's an odd thing to talk to people in the Beltway or on the East Coast who are of like mind. And uh, I, I think my audience will agree with me. And if they don't, forgive me for saying whenever someone from the East Coast says, well, you guys in Phoenix, you're ground zero. You know how bad this is. Yes, in part. Uh, but Yuma is, you know, it's a three or so hour drive away. And uh, it's not always on our mind, to be honest with you. Um, to, and, and, and this is why I think a lot of people in Phoenix and Maricopa County uh, tend not to see the same problem that that, you know, is unavoidable to the communities that do surround the border. When I've gone down on tours of the border, it's amazing anyone still works down there, Terry. I know we have a military, a couple military bases, so that obviously is not optional. But the people down there are so unhappy and so frustrated. It is um, it's Thunderdome down there, Terry. It's it's anarchy. No, I, I can believe it. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, one of the reasons Yuma has such a high unemployment rate is because illegal aliens are not only flooding in there, but they're using it as a way to get to California. That's right. Just like the people coming through El Centro. That's right. Where they know that they can uh, they can find work as illegal aliens, particularly in the agricultural sector in California. Well, that's so, exactly right. And it takes me kind of to another column that you wrote uh, recently, I guess it's about a month or so ago, but it's about Kamala Harris and um, her views 
which represent the administration's views. You've heard it from uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. You've heard it from the president that our border is secure and safe. When your president, your vice president, your Department of Homeland Security are telling you what you know fundamentally not to be true because you live there and you actually do go there, unlike them, um, you, you, you're, you're out for yourselves. You're dispirited. You're sunk. You don't feel like you have any support or that anyone gets it. And, yeah, you know, unemployment, crime, drugs, it's all going to be there, and it's all miserable, Terry. It's all miserable. Yeah, well, was when uh, Kamala Harris was on with Chuck Todd and Meet the Press, and he asked her, would you call the border secure? And she said flat out, the border is secure. Twice. I think that's one of the most insane things that any high-ranking public official in the United States has ever said. I mean, it is demonstrably false that the border is secure. Even the data and statistics put out by Biden's own administration demonstrate that the border is not secure and that there's been a massive spike. Well, what, what, you know, they don't know how many people get through the border, but they do know how many they catch. Oh, and hold people, that thought. Hold that thought. This was a short segment. I got a longer one coming up, and the numbers sure. are pretty astounding, especially that number 66 I want to talk to you about. We can talk about some of the other numbers of caught and not caught. Let me do that with you, Terry, if I can take a quick commercial break. Uh, that'll be a good tease for the audience as well. Terry, Jeffrey, and I will be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people at Balance of Nature, good people who make a great product. I take it every single day. Pure, potent plant power, 100% natural, third-party tested for any kinds of impurities, no added sweeteners, sugars, colors, anything. It's 100% natural, not 99 and 44 one-hundredths. 100% boost your energy, boost your health, boost your immunity with, as I say, pure, potent plant power, blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. You take it once a day and you are great to go. Check them out, balanceofnature.com. They're fruits and veggies. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Terry Jeffrey, syndicated columnist and editor-in-chief of CNS News is with us. Uh, CNSnews.com uh, is the website. We're talking about the border. Terry, we were talking about numbers at the border and the demonstrably false statements coming out of the administration, but also so demonstrably false, they double down on them again and again to the point that I don't know if they're thinking they're convincing us or if they believe it themselves. But the numbers are astounding, and you are about to get into some of this what's caught and what isn't business. The number that I, I focus on, numbers are all over the are, are, are really very, so so high it's hard to comprehend. 66. I can comprehend the number 66. That's the number of known terrorists who crossed the border just in the first months of this year. Months of fiscal 2021, yeah. um, which we knew of last month. The Border Patrol had encountered between the ports of entry 66 people who were on the terrorist watch list. And uh, when we got the next month's uh, numbers, it turned out that they had encountered 78. Right. So they, they've now, not counting the whole full fiscal year yet, we've got another month to go, but the first 11, the Border Patrol actually caught 78 known or suspected terrorists trying to come into the United States between the ports of entry on the U.S.-Mexico border. So we don't know how many actually got through, but they know that there's more people who get through than the people they catch. 
so it is, it's it's um, a very reasonable assumption that a significant number of terrorists have entered the country this year just by coming illegally across the southern border. We know what 19 can do. We're now talking uh, 78. Terry, um, just by comparison, so people has a, have a measuring stick, uh, what was what were the numbers of terrorists crossing in do, in, under Donald Trump's administration? Well, at, at one point, they uh, encountered zero. Right, exactly. <laughs> so in, in fiscal year 19, yeah. they caught no terrorists right. at all between the ports of entry. Right. It then went up to three in fiscal year 20. In fiscal year 21, it went up to 15. And then this year, the full year under Biden, it's gone up to 78. A massive increase in the number of illegal aliens who we know are on the terrorist watch list that they actually caught. And like I said, we don't know the ones they didn't catch. Terry, what is the psychology or the political psychology or just the politics of the administration continuing to lie and refusing to do anything about it? Um it's not in their interest to have rising crime. It's not in their interest to have rising uh, fentanyl uh, 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 poisonings in this. What is it? Is it a long term election strategy or is it a um, uh, an in, uh, is it an interest in refusing to having to admit to a problem they won't, don't want to admit to because then they have to solve and it goes against what their base wants? What what is what is what explains the the administration's um, intransigence on this? I, I think it is a long term political strategy for the Democratic Party. I think there are two interests in the United States that want to see illegal immigration. One is the Democratic political elite that see the illegal aliens as eventually a constituency for them mm-hmm. that increases their chances of controlling America politically. I think the other interest that wants illegal immigration are corporate interests that hire illegal aliens for far less than they would pay American workers. And one industry, for example, is uh, the hotel industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, another, obviously, is the agricultural industry. Mm-hmm. And so there, those businesses are increasing their profit margins by hiring illegal aliens for less than they would pay Americans. So they want to see the border remain porous and that labor force continue to enter the United States. At a certain point, Terry, do you think that this goes all one way or all the other house divided on this issue the way Lincoln framed it? I mean, because because there's no real middle ground anymore. Uh, There are people who are denying it and saying there's just no problem here. On the other hand, there's Americans with two eyes and two ears who can see and hear and feel what's going on. At a certain point, is there going to be a complete complete takeover of the border from conservatives or Republicans if there are any moderate Democrats left and it will get solved? Or is this going to be just a plotting problem for the next several years? Because if so, I I don't think we can afford it. I really just don't think we can. No, I agree with you. I mean, it has to be – the border has to be controlled. Trump started to do it. Uh, he obviously didn't get it completely done. And uh, I think there are several aspects of it. I mean, one one was the border fence that Trump was building. They need to build a barrier along the U.S.-Mexico border that is high enough, secure enough, and unclimbable enough to make it extremely difficult for someone to come over. But they also need enough manpower on the U.S. side of that barrier to catch the people who come over. And they also need an enforcement system within the United States that, in fact, processes illegal aliens through the legal process and then evicts them from the United States. And at this point, we don't have, we don't have any of those things fully in place. 
and we need to do it. And then, then there's another problem. If you do elect a Republican government, including a president in Congress, that's willing to put those three things in place, as soon as you get Democrats back in power, they're going to want to find a way not to enforce the border again. So I think it's it's going to be a long-term struggle, and I do think it's going to be a major political issue. And I do believe it is one of the reasons President Trump had so much appeal, because he was obviously committed to actually securing the border, which so many politicians before him obviously weren't. Yeah. So what you're outlining when you talk about those three levels uh, that need to be addressed, you know, the thing about it is all of that is about will. None of it is about ability. All of it is totally doable. I mean, this could be done easily, frankly. With that question, I mean, one analogy I've made before is it's like a football or baseball stadium. If you if you go to the Rose Bowl on January 1st and you don't have a ticket, you're not going to get in there. Right. And if you, if you try to get in there, they're going to arrest you. Yep. Because they've secured that stadium, even yep. though there's 100,000 people in there. Yep. We could secure our border. We ha- We have the engineering skills and the manpower to do it. Yep. But you're right. It's all about the will. Nobody's penetrated the White House or the Naval Observatory or Speaker Pelosi's house in a long time, and there's a reason for that. Fencing and guns and law enforcement works. Terry Jeffrey, you're a national treasure. I uh, only regret that it takes uh, it takes me so long to uh, contact you so frequently. So uh, every time I promise and every time I mean it, I'll have you back again sooner rather than later, sir. Thank you, Seth. Absolutely. You have a great day. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, and thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. I was just um, thinking about uh, something I was talking about in the first hour as we're getting ready to sign off today with all the problems. You know, the problems here, the problems abroad, Russia, Ukraine, Iran. The Iran one I want to keep us uh, updated on, and I want you to keep your eyes on. Uh, the Middle East, particularly when uh, the energumen is Iran, tends to have uh, region-wide and geopolitically-wide um, effects. Uh, wishful thinking is no strategy, um, Michael Rubin writes. The price of liberty in Iran will be high. In 1979, Ayatollah Khomeini promised Iranians an Islamic democracy and forswore any interest and personal power. Iranians who joined that revolution quickly discovered they had simply traded a secular dictatorship for an even less tolerant theocratic dictatorship. I noticed that uh, over the weekend, organized violent government attack took place on protesting students in Sharif University in Tehran. We are hearing nothing from student organizations We are hearing nothing from women's organizations in this country. And as far as the president of the United States is concerned, it's about right now getting a deal with that very self-same theocratic dictatorship that will end up giving them billions and billions and billions of dollars. Remember the last time we did it? John Kerry said he couldn't guarantee that some of that money wouldn't wouldn't end up in the hands of terrorists. Well, how many times do we have to relearn this lesson how many times how many times um, we are uh, we are in dangerous territory folks leadership change here can't come fast enough once it does 
looking forward to a much calmer United States, a much less frenzied one, and perhaps, too, much calmer waters abroad. They're asking for it. We need to provide it. Someone needs to calm the seas. Usually it's the United States, and usually it's not us doing the agitating, but we are. All right, until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.